Good morning. You have your Bible open up to uh, Exodus chapter 2. That's where we will start this morning, and we're going to trek our way through those first few chapters. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are honored by your presence. Uh, we uh, hope our service has been a blessing to you and uh, will continue to be. And uh, we just uh, thank you for being here this morning and uh, hope that, uh, that you have a great, uh, great rest of the day with us. Uh, we're in the fourth in a series that we've called Bad Resumes. And this is the, the, uh, basically where we're going through Scripture and we're looking at these well-known Bible characters that have these incredible stories, have this just massive faith, have done these huge things, uh, but there's more to the story. Often we just focus on the good stuff, the big stuff, the great things they've done, and we miss some of the struggle that they had. But one of the great things about the Bible is the struggle is in there. And what we see is that God takes these people who did these incredible things, and he shows us their life before he got a hold of them. He showed us what their life was like and the mistakes that they made, the trouble that they found themselves in, even the sin that they were caught up in. And he takes those people, and he transforms their lives, and he reshapes and remolds them, and he uses them for the kingdom. And the great thing about that is, is that not only did he do it for the people in the Bible, he does it for us today. He takes our spiritual bad resumes and transforms us and reshapes us and uses us for the kingdom as well. And today we're talking about the bad resume of our good friend Moses, uh, the prince of Egypt, as it were. Um, but have you ever felt... Have you ever felt unqualified for something? Anybody in here ever felt unqualified? You know, maybe there's a job that you were trying to get, um, and you sat down and looked at it, and, you know, it looked really good, but the more you look, the more you realize, man, I'm really, I'm just, I'm not qualified enough. Or maybe there was a promotion that you were in line for, and you were in competition with someone else, and you were passed over because, well, you were not qualified enough. You didn't have enough time in. You didn't have enough education. You didn't have the right training. You didn't have the right background. And because of that, because of that, you were, were passed over. And if that's ever happened to you, and, and chances are good, it's probably happened to all of us in some way, shape, or form, you know, it's not a good feeling. It, it leaves us feeling uh, rejected because it's something that we want and we didn't get it because maybe there was something lacking in, in who we are. But maybe there's another side of that coin too where we've been asked to do something, where we've been given a task to do it, and instead of jumping into it with everything we have, we've made excuses as to why we can't do something. Anybody ever done that as well? Yeah. Well, let me, uh, let me give you some excuses that I ran across, and these are, these are good. These are, and these are actual live excuses. Uh, this is why someone could not go to school. So these are school excuses. These are timely since we just completed our last day of school and we have so many teachers among us. They'll appreciate these. Uh, and, and our teachers can verify if they've ever gotten some of these or they can probably add to this list. Uh, I didn't come to school yesterday because I was feeling like I was going to be sick, but thankfully I wasn't. Yes. 
please excuse Casey from school. It was take your daughter to work day. I don't have a job, so I made her stay home and do housework. Um, I was late for class because the bell rang before I got there. Imagine that. You know, I, 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 I have a vivid memory of a girl doing that when I was in high school. I was late because the bell rang before I got there. You know, it's just, well, yeah, that's why you're late. Uh, <coughs> and then this one's great, too. Uh, I was absent because I got my head caught in the power window of the car. You said that, not me. Um, you should also know that this is on. So that's probably picked up and, and on iTunes now. So good job there. Good, 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 good. Uh, here's some work excuses. Uh, don't use these, but they're good ones. I won't be in to work today. My fish is sick and I need to take it to the vet. Okay. I love this one. Uh, I won't be uh, at work today, or excuse me for being late from work today, uh, I'm stuck in the blood pressure machine at Walmart. <laughs> Dangerous place to be. Um, the dog ate my car keys, we're going to hitchhike to the vet. And then maybe this last one, constipation has made me a walking time bomb. <laughs> That's a good reason to be, to be late for work. You know, we can, we can relate to that. You know, Moses is a story that is familiar to most people. We've seen the you know, Charlton Heston version of the Ten Commandments, or we've seen the Prince of Egypt, and we know how the story goes. You have this, this great character who has really no flaws, and he does well, and he trusts God, and he does these incredible things, and he leads the people, he leads the people out of Egyptian bondage. And that's an incredible story. It's an incredible story of what God does with someone who is faithful and trusts in him. But a lot of times, we can just go straight to the end of the story and we miss what brought them to where they are. And one of the things that I love about the book of Exodus is it gives us the backstory of Moses. All the way back to, to his Birth, and we see that you know he wasn't this great, he wasn't just all of a sudden this great leader. He had a, a journey, he had a journey that he had to, to go on. As the book opens, it tells us a little bit about Joseph. Joseph, who had risen to second in command in all of Egypt. And there had been a famine in the land, and so uh, Joseph brought all his family down there. About 70 Hebrews moved into the land of Egypt. And they began to grow and to, to prosper and to, to multiply as God said that they would. But eventually Joseph died off, that Pharaoh died off, and the Israelites or the Hebrews continued to, to multiply and multiply and multiply. Well, a new Pharaoh was raised up and he wasn't familiar with Joseph, wasn't familiar with the God of these Hebrews. And as he looked around and surveyed his land, he realized this could be a problem. If these Hebrews, who are so numerous, get it into their head to revolt, they could create quite a situation for us. And so he devises a scheme where he enforces very strict, very tough labor on the backs of these Hebrews. And he uses them to do incredible things but he abused them all the while. 
And they began to groan and they began to cry out before God. And he came up with another plan. He said, if there is a baby girl born, you let her live. But if it's a baby boy, kill him. And it's during this time that Moses is born. He's born, and of course his mother loves him, as every child is loved by their mother. And, uh, she doesn't want to give Moses up, and she wants to protect him, and so it gets to the point where she can no longer protect him. And so she takes a basket, and she puts some, uh, uh, some, some tar and some pitch in there so that it'll float, and she lays Moses in there. And as the uh, Hebrew women are down at the water, the Egyptian women are too, and she just sort of floats Moses right by them so they'll see them. They'll, they'll see the baby. And so the, the Egyptian women see, and uh, the Pharaoh's daughter happens to be there. And she sends one of her servants to go down and to bring Moses out of the water to her. And she falls in love with this baby. She wants to keep this child and, and raise it on her own. Well, one of the girls that happens to be standing there is one of the Hebrews. And it turns out that it is Moses' sister. And he says, would you like, she says, would you like me to get one of the Hebrew mothers to nurse this child? And of course, Pharaoh's mom does. And the mother that is chosen is mother, uh, Moses' mother. So he is nursed at his mother's breast until he is old enough. And finally, he is weaned. And she takes him to the Pharaoh's daughter. And it's then we learn that the Pharaoh's daughter gives him the Egyptian name of Moses to draw him out of the water. And then Moses spends his life growing up in the palace. Growing up in the palace of the Pharaoh. He is away from his countrymen in the home of the Egyptians. Learning about Egyptian culture, being educated in the Egyptian ways. He would have been familiar with the, the, the pagan gods and goddesses of Egypt. One day he goes out and he takes a stroll. And he notices that there is one of the Egyptian taskmasters who is abusing one of his countrymen. And something inside of him flares up and he steps in and he kills the Egyptian. He buries him in the sand. He probably feels pretty good about that because he has liberated one of his country. Well, the next day, he's out walking again. And he sees two Hebrews, and, and this time they are fighting. And he wants to do something. He wants to intervene. He steps in. He's like, hey, what are you guys fighting about? And instead of them appreciating Moses, appreciating who he is and what he's trying to do, they say, hey, look, are you, you going to kill us? Are you going to kill us and bury us in the sand the same way you did the Egyptians? And Moses realizes that he's been found out. Not only by these guys, but Pharaoh himself hears about it and tries to kill Moses. So Moses packs up everything. He flees out into the desert to Midian. And he's out there. He marries one of the, the Midianite priests daughters and he settles into his life outside of the palace as a shepherd so we come to to Moses's executive profile and it's you know it's not really that impressive he's raised in the Pharaoh's house 
That's really about it. As far as his professional experience, nothing. He's led a pampered existence. He's been served his whole life. He's probably, you know, had the hardest task of maybe just ordering servants to go do this and, and go do that for him. There's not been a whole lot that, that he has had to do. And so we say, well, okay, Moses, you left your job there in Egypt, which basically you did nothing. Why did you do that? What are your reasons for leaving your, your last job? Well, I was ratted out by my countrymen. Uh, the Pharaoh tried to kill me uh, because I killed a guy. That's why I left my job. You know, you get somebody in your office applying for a job with that kind of resume, boom, you're going to reject them. You don't need somebody like that working for you. You know, you're hated by your countrymen. The most powerful man in the world at this time hates you and has tried to kill you. Uh, that's a bad resume. You don't need somebody like that in your organization. And so Moses just goes out into the desert and he begins to, to spend his life Hurting sheep. But then notice the end of, of chapter 2. It says, a long time after that, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites were groaning under the bondage and cried out. And their cry for help from the bondage rose up to God. God heard their moaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. Chapter 3 opens. And Moses is tending his sheep. And he's out there in the wilderness and they, they come across this, this mountain that is called Mount Horeb. And right off the bat, that doesn't sound like a particularly important mountain or a particularly important place uh, because we don't generally think of it as Mount Horeb. We know it as Mount Sinai, which is the, the mountain of God. Well, this is where, where Moses is, and it's while he's there that he encounters God in one of the strangest ways possible. He notices a bush that is on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire. And naturally, he wants to know what's going on with that bush, as, as any person would, or anybody that likes pyrotechnics would, anyway. You want to see what, yeah, this guy knows. You want to see what's happening. Why is this thing on fire, but it's not being destroyed? And so he approaches the bush, and it's from the bush that God begins to speak. He says, Moses, take off your sandals. The place where you're standing, this is, this is holy ground. And it's in those moments that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his ancestors, begins to introduce himself to Moses. Verse 7 the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. And I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. And I know their sufferings. I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then drop down to verse 10. Therefore, Moses, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh 
so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is why Moses was spared. He was spared for this moment in time to go and stand before the most powerful ruler in the world and say, I'm here on behalf of God Almighty. Let my people, let His people go. You know, and we think if God were to speak to us that way, if all of a sudden that plant right there were just to ignite and not be consumed and God started speaking, boy, we'd be so emboldened by that, wouldn't we? Why isn't Moses? Well, because he's human. Because he struggles. And if we're honest with ourselves, man, it, 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 it'd be tough for us too. But God begins to, to speak to him. And what you have through the, the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4 is not this, this powerful, yeah, God, let's go get them. But you have a series of, of excuses and inadequacies that Moses offers to God. In verse 11, Moses has been told, hey, look, you're the guy. You're going to be the one that's going to go to Egypt. You're going to be the one that brings my people out. And Moses says, Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The first excuse that he offers, it's, it, it's based on, on his inadequacy. You know, who am I? I'm nobody. I've been living out here in this wilderness for 40 years and now you want me to go and stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go? Who am I, God? And God answers in verse 12. He says, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign that I've sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain. In, chapter, uh, in, in verse 13, we see the second excuse. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father's has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? This excuse right here, he, he's rooting it in ignorance. You know, what am I going to, to tell these people? And God again replies in verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to, the, said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is how I am to be remembered in every generation. You see, God, uh, Moses is not familiar with God at this point in his life. He's not been raised with the God of the Hebrews. He's been raised in the palace of the Pharaoh. But the Hebrews are familiar with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are probably some of them that can remember back to what it was like when Joseph was still living. They've heard the stories of Jacob and how he brought his family down into Egypt. They've heard the stories of, of Isaac and how his father offered him on the altar and God intervened and provided a sacrifice. They know about this God. And God says, you go to them and you say, I am sent you. They will know who I am and they will, they will listen. And so no Moses, you know, you think, okay, well, okay, God, you know, I believe you. 
send me on, but not for Moses. It's not good enough. He's got another excuse. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me? His third excuse is it's rooted in incredibility. You know, what credibility do I possibly have with these people? I've not been raised with them. I don't know them. The last encounter I had with them, they threatened to turn me into the Pharaoh and I had to hightail it out of there to save my skin. I have no voice with these people. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't obey? And then God says, Moses, what's that in your hand? He says, it's a staff. And he says, throw it on the ground. And he does, and it turns into a, to a snake, into a serpent. Picks it up, turns back into a staff again. He says, take your hand and stick it into your cloak. And when he does, and he brings it back out, it says that it was leprous. He sticks it back in, pulls it back out, and he's healed. And he says that they still won't believe. This is what you do. You take some water from the Nile, you pour it on the ground, and it'll turn to blood. Now, we do a pretty good job, I think, of taking things that God says on faith, right? Imagine if he were to actually give us some things like that. Would that bolster your faith? I mean, he's got a pretty good act right now. He's got the staff snake thing. He's got the leprous hand miraculous healing trick. And he's got, he's got water that will turn to blood. Okay, if God gave me those things and said, go convert the world, I'd say, yeah, let's go, God. Let's go do that. I'm with you. But Moses is not like that. He still is refusing to buy into to what God says. And in verse 14, he offers his fourth excuse. Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, since you've been speaking to your servant, because I'm slow and I am hesitant in speech. He roots this, this fourth excuse in his inarticulateness. I've never been eloquent. I'm slow in, in, in speech, yet, you know, you go to the, the book of Acts and Stephen is preaching about Moses and talks about his mighty words and his mighty deeds. So it might be that Moses is just really doing whatever he can to, to get out of this, this, call from, this, this call from God. But verse 11, God says, Who made the human mouth? And who makes him mute or deaf? seeing or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. I mean, if God can give him a staff that turns into a snake and make his hand leprous and then healed again and turn water into blood, certainly God can give him the word, can untie his tongue to deliver this message to, to Pharaoh. But it's still not enough and then finally in 13, and you can just sort of hear the desperation in Moses where he says, please, Lord, please send someone else. And this excuse, this excuse is grounded in insubordination. God has told him he will be with him. God has said, I'll provide everything that you need. I'll help you to perform wonders in front of these guys. I will give you the words. I will be with you, I'll give you everything you need to say. Just go. Moses still, still refuses. Please, 
Please send somebody else. And then notice verse 14. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. You think? You ever wonder if the Lord's anger has burned against you? That doesn't sound like a good place to be, does it? Thank God we have a patient, loving God. Amen? And you can see it. He's patient with Moses after all of these excuses. And he says, fine, take Aaron. I'll let him speak for you. Just please, just go. Finally, you know, Moses has got nothing left. His excuses are just sort of laying in shambles uh, on the floor. And he goes. He goes. And it's as if Moses is saying to God, Here's the reasons why you shouldn't use me. Moses is giving out his own bad resume as to why he is not right for this job. Have you ever done that in your own life? Been asked to, to do something, you start offering reasons why you're not good enough, why you can't serve, why you, 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 you can't help. Well, finally he goes. And we know how the story rolls on from there. The, the, the ten plagues. Finally, Pharaoh relents after the death angel has moved through the land and struck down the firstborn who didn't have their door frames painted with the blood of the lamb. Pharaoh agrees and releases Moses and the people and they depart from Egypt and they make the escape through the, the Red Sea on dry land, and we know how the, we know how the, the, the story ends. And it's an incredible story. But let me ask you, have you ever felt unqualified for what God has called you to? Because I have. And when I say I have, I don't mean that to say like, you know, it was a past thing and I've overcome it. There are days in my life where I still battle with that. There are days where I wake up and I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not smart enough. There's no way that I can do this. God, why would you call me into this ministry? Why would you call me into this life? Because I don't have the capacity to think things through. I can't. See the big picture. There are people that are more qualified. they got more education. They're better equipped, better skilled. All of these things. And there are, are times where I start asking myself those questions, particularly after I've had a, a setback, I've had a failure, whatever it is, and instead of just feeling inadequate, On my worst days, I turn on myself. You know what I'm talking about? And I begin to, to verbally, mentally abuse myself. You're so stupid. You're so foolish. What made you think you could do something like that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been there 
Now, those days don't, don't happen all the time. But if I'm being completely honest, I have to tell you that, that I battle days like that. Just as I know some of you battle days like that. That's what Satan does to us. That's one of his greatest weapons is to get us feeling like we're worthless. To get us feeling like we don't matter. To get us feeling like we're not smart enough, like we're not equipped enough, like we can't do the job. And you know what he does then? He begins to provide every excuse in the book as to why we can't serve. As to why God wouldn't use someone like us. You know, and I find that my excuses, man, they sound an awful lot like Moses. Have you ever been in that place where you say, you know, who am I? Who, do I? who do I think I am? Why did I think I could help somebody? What could I possibly say to influence somebody's life who's, who's, who's going through some stuff? I don't have what it takes. Have you ever said that? That's inadequacy. That's ignorance. It's incredibility. You say, you know, I can't speak well. I couldn't possibly teach a class. I couldn't, I couldn't read Scripture. No one would, would, would listen to what I say that's, that's, that's rooting our excuses in inarticulateness, not trusting God. And then finally say, look, can't somebody else just do it? And I can tell you as a, as a, as a Christian, I've said this before. I've wished this, won't somebody else please just do it? But I can also tell you as a leader, I've heard this one so many times. I, I, I can't do it. Get somebody else. And that's insubordination to, to God's call on our life. You see, and here's the thing with, with inadequacies and, and, and excuses. Our inadequacies and our excuses are rooted in a lack of trust of God's resources. You see, when, when I get to, to beating on myself, when I start believing the lies that say I'm not good enough, I don't have what it takes, I'm not smart enough, I don't have enough education, I don't have the right words, I can't figure out the problem. When I do that, when you do that, you realize what we're doing. We're relying on our own resources. That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants us to rely on our lack of things. And so he brings up our resume. He says, remember when you tried this, but this is what happened? You want to be a, a Bible class teacher? Do you not remember what you said last week? We begin to make excuses for why we can't do something. But what I have to remind myself of, and Bethany's real good at this, what I have to remind myself of, what you have to remind yourself of, is that Christ's power 
is perfected in weakness. Christ's power is perfected in weakness. So what do we do? We can boast all the more, just like Paul did. I'm nothing. But Jesus is everything. Jesus gives me what I need. Jesus rounds me out and completes what I need in my life. I love this verse right here that says, and my God will supply all your needs. All your needs according to his riches that are found in Christ Jesus. So when we find ourselves in that place where we're going through that, that bad resume, that resume of shame or sin or setback or whatever it might be, I pray that, that God through his Holy Spirit raises up this verse in our minds and in our hearts. It says, God will give you everything you need. He will supply everything. And don't doubt for a minute. If God has called you to something, and when I say God has called you to something, I don't mean that you're probably going to have a burning bush kind of experience. But it might mean that as you're reading Scripture or you're working through something, a devotional or something like that, or as you, you interact with, with people, that he'll begin to lay something on your heart. Something that, that keeps coming up over and over again. That's, that's God showing you something, revealing something to you, drawing you to something. It might come in the form of, of a person coming, suggesting something to you, or, or saying, you know, you, you really have a, a gift for this. Maybe it's something you've never even considered before, and when somebody says it, you how can I possibly counsel somebody? I don't have what it takes. Well, here's the thing. Don't doubt for one second that if God has called you to a task, that he will not unleash the resources of heaven to enable and equip you to make it happen. Because our God will supply all our needs. You see, and when we trust that, when we put our, our, our faith in Him, then that helps us to, to take the, the heat off of ourselves. It lets our excuses fall. It lets our inadequacies become nothing. It helps us to focus on Jesus. And I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I can do all things that God has called me to. I can do all the things that he has shown me, that he is revealing in me. It doesn't matter what my past is like. If Jesus has restored me, then I can do anything that he calls me to. 
And he'll make sure that I have the tools and the equipping to accomplish it for the kingdom. Satan will try to destroy you with things in your life, in your past, things that you deal with now. He will try to destroy you. He'll try to isolate you. He'll try to separate you. Because if he can do that, he's got you on the sides. He's got you marginalized. Got you thinking you can't help anybody, you can't help the kingdom. That's a lie. But God can use somebody like Moses. And I'm not talking about the great leader Moses. I'm talking about pre-burning bush Moses. So why can't he use people like you and me? You see, when we realize that we're just the clay in the potter's hands, it takes the pressure off of us. It lets God then give us what we need. Let God give you what you need to do what he's called you to for his kingdom. For some of you, it means that that whatever excuse that you've harbored, you need to let God deal with that. And you need to trust in Him. For others, it means that you've not given your life to Him yet, and He's he's called you. He's calling you. It's time to say, you know what? It's not about me. I can't get my life right. I need to get my life with Jesus and let Him get my life right. It starts when you confess Jesus as Lord. And you realize what you're saying when you confess Jesus as Lord? You're confessing, I am not Lord. Because I recognize I don't have it. I don't have what I need. But you have everything that I need. And maybe you need to do that today. But whatever it is, don't go away. Don't go away not having put your hope and your trust in Jesus. And the fact that he gives us everything that we need. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, if we can baptize you into Jesus today, won't you come while we stand, while we sing?